We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is The Weekend Answer. I'm Garrett Fay. I'm a business and election law attorney. I'm with Jim Righeimer. He is a businessman, husband, father, successful guy, a former mayor of the city of Costa Mesa, very knowledgeable about everything local, and the police unions love him. What are we talking about this week? Well, a lot of news to get to, including some great news out of D.C. with Operation Warp Speed. Going to have two vaccines coming out very shortly. Next couple of weeks going to help kick this coronavirus thing in the pants. Also, Trump campaign still filing some lawsuits prosecuting those some are winning some not doing so well what does it mean for the presidential race as it comes to a conclusion and will joe biden be coming in january it's looking like it also what do we got talking about with biden well some of his people want biden to investigate trump's supposed crimes and wrongdoing other advisors say not so much nancy pelosi's staying on as speaker kevin mccarthy is staying on as gop minority leader but what does that mean for 2022 we're also talking with orange county supervisor don wagner about the new covid restrictions in california going back into the purple why should we care about that and then talking about facebook and twitter and the grilling they had in the senate this last week and then talking about what's going on in burbank where they're banning books are they banning mein Kampf? No, they're banning the good stuff, and we're going to show like we always do with good news. But, Riggy, interesting news out of D.C. It's sort of the yin and the yang, the good and the bad. Trump campaign not looking too good in these states. Looks like the race is over, but amazing news with two vaccines. Yeah, well, the vaccines is actually the most important thing. And uh, when you look at the kind of timing that it took to get this vaccine going, to realize that, you were what, eight, 10 months ago is when this problem hit. Uh, within a couple of months, they were able to start figuring out what they had. And then within a few more months after that, you had hundreds of companies uh, actually d- coming up with, with plans. And out of that, you got about five or six winners that are going to come through with vaccines. As of today, we have two vaccines that are like 94 95% uh, effective, and that it's really just a matter of getting it out. Um, they're talking about that as soon as the FDA actually approves it, they can put ne- needles in the arm the next day. Yeah, so here's HHS Secretary Alex Azar. Are this last week. And here we are, 10 months from the date when this virus hit our shore, and we've got a second 90% plus effective vaccine for the American people. This is really a historic day. Uh, and we hope that uh, because of Moderna and Pfizer's vaccines, which we've already been producing, to have enough by the end of December to vaccinate 20 million of our most vulnerable citizens. So th- and also, you know, this is such an unmitigated success that even CNN had to concede it. This is an unmitigated success, and, and we should acknowledge that uh, the Moderna vaccine was done with funds from Operation Warp Speed, and the Pfizer one uh, has funding when it comes to the distribution and manufacture. And I just think it's important uh, that 
people working so hard, Monsef Slawi and the others, uh, get credit yeah. for this. And President Trump was the Government. one who okayed it. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, the pace of medical innovation has been forever changed. I mean, three months, January 11th is when they got the sequence of this virus. By March 16th, two months later, uh, uh, shots were going into arms as part of these clinical trials. I, 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 didn't, I couldn't believe it when I saw that pace. It typically takes, you know, years uh, to really get these vaccines approved. It'll be done within a year. So that, that is worth celebrating. And now we have some early data uh, to be very optimistic about. So all of the scientists, everyone behind this, all the way up to President Trump and Vice President Pence, congratulations on this great accomplishment. We, uh, we're obviously waiting for more news and for the vaccine to be available. And this is the reason why we voted for Trump for president, because he could get through government and get something done. Let me tell you something. It's hard enough to get a patio cover put on your house and get it approved by the local planning commission. This is the FDA. This is all sorts of uh, um, legal and legislative things that have to get pushed through. There are so many ways that this thing doesn't happen. And it took someone like Trump to just plow through all these issues and do whatever it had to be done to get laws changed, to get... Uh, um, executive agencies to change everything to get done to make it happen. I mean, we're hearing about some of these approvals that are coming like in the evening at nine o'clock at night. These people aren't going to bed. He's just moving it and getting it done. That's who you want as president of the United States. Somebody can get something done. The fact of the matter is, you know, some people don't like his bedside manner and, and that's what's hurting them. But when it comes to the, you know, the rubber meeting the road, he gets the job done. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you're a first responder, you work at a hospital or whatever, doctor, nurse, and um, you're going to start getting this vaccine in December. Right. So whatever you thought about Trump in the lead up to this doesn't matter. I mean, they said, oh, Trump doesn't care about people. All these deaths are on his hands, which is just a, a slanderous, awful thing to say. But that's all in the past. And as Trump said during the debate against Biden, Biden wouldn't have done this, you know, had Biden been president, we would still have no vaccine. We'd be going through a process. Right. It'd be some long it'd, process. It'd be a I mean, good process. It would come up proper. Everything would be good. It'd be yeah, good it process. would take 10 times as long, right. cost 10 times as much. You'd hire you know, a million people, make them all union employees. I mean, this is the guy who ran Obamacare. Right. So we're trading off. The American people have said, we don't want the guy who's giving us the coronavirus vaccine. We want the guy who ran Obamacare. I mean, what the hell are we doing here? Well, you know, most votes wins. Right. So what is Biden going to do? Well, Biden's going to get to take a victory lap. But here's the plan. So at the end of December, by the end of December, supposedly first responders, the elderly and uh, other people are going to get it. And then they think not till the spring will the mass vast majority of Americans get it if they want it. But this is a huge success story. I think once this happens, people are going to be really thankful to President Trump. Now, back to Trump's lawsuits. So there's a couple lawsuits going on. You've got Georgia. There's a recount. You've got Pennsylvania. The lawsuits are basically falling apart. More interesting is what's going on in Nevada, where they've actually found lots of evidence of irregularities. And I think they might have upwards of 15,000 votes cast that might have been done so wrongly. What we are providing today in this lawsuit is that many of these votes were improperly cast. We are presenting today in our formal contest that there are north of 15,000 people who voted in Nevada and another state. We are presenting that people voted in people that had already done a change of address and left the state outside of 30, the 30 day requirement their ballots were still cast. We are also presenting dead voters. And, here, and here's the problem with all this. 
it's very true that we know throughout Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, that things that were fraudulent were done. The issue is how many votes are done and and how do you back it out? So let's say it's true in the case in Nevada where they say, hey, we got documentation. People sent their ballots back in who were no longer residents of Nevada. And in fact, they voted in California or Illinois or wherever they're at. Okay, you, you can say that. The fact of the matter is once the ballot is out of the envelope and it's in the stack of ballots, you can't pull it out. So it's, it's, so these arguments are the arguments you make before you open the envelope, where you go in and you have some kind of system. So one of the things that Trump has to do is continue to fight these lawsuits so that at the, at the local level, at the state level, they'll have systems in place to say, hey, when that envelope comes in front of us for John Jones, did John Jones vote in Illinois? Did John Jones vote in California? Has he already moved out? Why isn't that data right there when they go ahead and open that, that uh, ballot up. And that's the problem. Once the ballot is open, you remove the envelope, who sent it, and all that, and it's just an open ballot. Coming up, will the President Joe Biden prosecute or pardon President Trump? Coming right back. All right, welcome back. It's Weekend Answer. I'm Garrett Fay. I'm with Jim Righeimer, Two Faces for Radio, bringing you the biggest stories of the week. Hope you and your families are well as you prepare for Thanksgiving this coming week. Should be fun. Going to get into coronavirus issues next segment with Don Wagner, Orange County Supervisor. Before we get to that, want to talk about the fallout of the presidential race. What jo- what's Joe Biden been up to? What's his fake office of the president-elect been doing, his transition? been getting stonewalled by President Trump and the Trump administration. They're not conceding yet, and so they're holding up some of the transition stuff, which is, Ricky, kind of a lot about nothing. I mean, Biden's acting like the world's falling apart, the country's not being run, that, you know, vaccines aren't being made because he, his people aren't being able to have phone calls with current Trump administration officials. It seems like a bunch of BS to me. Well, no, but don't worry about it. Cuomo's taking care of that for him. So what Cuomo's doing and what uh, uh, California's doing is they're going to wait till the vaccine's ready, and then they're going to check it out and make sure it's okay. Yeah, oh yeah. there's the whole thing of we're not happy about the vaccine because it came on Trump's watch. As if Trump's the guy in the lab coat over at Pfizer or Moderna actually making the vaccine. Right. No, Trump got rid of the paperwork and all the hassles and got pushed it through the system to get it done. But uh, the first thing we need to do is we need you know Fauci and, and, and Trump and everybody to take the shot. So they say, hey, it works, it's fine, and just get this product out there. But right now, the fact of the matter is, you know, Biden should be out there, you know, lauding the president for the good job he did. That would that would help bring people that didn't support Biden over to his side. You know, just get this get this country back on track. Right. And the thing too is, if I am Biden, you better believe I'm taking that vaccine. Oh, he's not exactly a spring chicken here. Well, not only that, I mean, listen, this is the guy that was wearing two masks at a time. Right. Okay. I mean, it, he might it, have some fear. It wasn't just kind of wearing. He was wearing double masking. You know? Yeah. So uh, Biden's been making some waves trying to say I'm not getting cooperation from Trump people. But the biggest thing Trump's doing for Biden is solving the coronavirus pandemic problem because Biden's going to come in in January after probably millions of Americans are already vaccinated. First responders, senior citizens, those at risk with health issues. So if I'm Biden and I had any class at all, I'd probably thank Trump rather than go after him. But the bigger thing for Biden is, number one, what does he want to do priority-wise? He talked about some of that last week. He wants to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement.
agreement. This last week, his advisors are saying he might rejoin the Iran nuclear deal, which is a terrible idea. He wants to uh, also forgive student loan debt. We heard that this week, Riggy, and that seems to be a giveaway to the kind of people who were causing all the problems in the streets and the people who get these idiotic degrees in, in you know gender studies and liberal studies and don't learn anything. And they basically want to have the working class of America pay off the debt of those who got stupid degrees and now can't afford to pay their student loans. Yeah, so I, so I get out of high school. I go to trade school. I learn how to be a plumber, HVAC. I do work. I'm out there sweating and everything else. And now my taxes should go to some guy that was at a frat house for you know five, four or five years because, of course, you don't finish school in Four years you do no, now five. It's six or seven. Now it's six or seven. And gosh, you want to get the the master's degree while you're at it because you kind of hang out. And we get hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, which is a whole other story about how universities charge ridiculous amounts of money. But with that all being said, you've agreed to do it. It's fine. And what do you say to people? Hey, let's go ahead and just get rid of the debt because that that would be good for it. Also, the whole group that worked so hard to get Biden in the 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 new green vision and all this other kind of garbage. They literally gave him a list of like 400 things they want done. Oh, yeah. The far left and the woke left has their list of demands. Here. Can you imagine? I mean, uh, here, here, by the way, you're president now. You owe us. And it was the Black Lives Matter group that was leading it up. Four hundred, A list of 400 demands. You know? Yeah, except if I am Biden, I say, hey, just rewind the tape during the debate when I basically said I'm not for any of those things. And I defeated all the people who ran on those. So, you know, Biden's going to have some problem dealing with the far left. He's also going to have a problem in Congress because the Democrats are going to keep the House representatives. This last week, they made the decision to keep Nancy Pelosi as speaker. And I guess the good news for the country is she's saying this is her last term in Congress and her last term as speaker. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And, and the reason that this is really pushing it besides her age, is that Republicans have been working very hard actually for several election cycles to get more and more women minorities um, in office. And that means get them into city council races, get them in the board of supervisor races, those type of things, so that when these congressional seats open, you have some real candidates. Right. And, and one thing that is big about Republicans is Republicans want competence. They want people that know it. So, you know, uh, Republicans aren't just going to say, I'm going to get vote for a woman just to vote for a woman. They yeah, want we, her to be... We don't do the Kamala Harris approach. We, we don't do it. We, 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 and so when you look at it, look here in Orange County with, with uh, the different people. Yeah, Steel, Young Kim and Michelle Steele. Steel, I mean, these are solid women who who voted on hard issues, who've been local in their community, doing things, getting things done. Those are the kind of people that Republicans vote for. Well, what happened here now is all these women, Republicans, all these minorities, blacks got voted in as Republicans. And so we don't know what the actual numbers are. But we may have a three, four, five, six vote margin of victory for more Democrats than Republicans which makes up the difference of who's the speaker or not. Oh, yeah, it's huge. And, and it also is going to determine what bills get through. So according to a Washington Post article, as of the latest counting, thir- at least 33 House Republicans will be either women or non-white men when the new Congress convenes in January. This will include 27 women, six Hispanics, and two black men, Burgess Owens of Utah and Byron Donalds of Florida. And Republicans have flipped a lot of seats, and and in fact, every seat Republicans flipped from blue to red has been captured by a woman or a minority, and it's not a mistake. This is intentional work by the NRCC and Rep. Elise Stefanik from New York, who actively recruited these candidates, and again— these are qualified people. Right. These aren't just token picks. So what does this all this mean at the end of the day? Why does this matter? Well, it matters because the Republican Party 
thanks in large part to President Trump, brought in the base. It brought in what does it mean to be a Republican? What does the Republican Party look like? What does the next generation look like? And this is going to be a compelling group. You know, gone are the days of the idiotic trope of the Republican war on women. B.S. Republicans are sending tons of women to Congress, and they're going to make Pelosi's life a living hell. So what does Pelosi do in the next two years? Does she cave in to AOC and the squad, given that she's going to have a razor-thin majority and the Republicans likely going to keep the Senate? Riggy, I think we can see bipartisanship coming pretty soon, and Pelosi's about to get, I think, a lot less liberal. Well, they're going to have to do something. And first off, the, you've got to get this this uh, relief for COVID right now. We don't have anything. Something should happen between the uh, between now and January 20th, but I think – Pelosi's ego is too much that she won't make a deal with with uh, Trump. You've got the Senate that's going to be a backstop anyway, so nothing real crazy is going to go through. So let's say she works deals out with AOC. If they're kooky left deals, they're just not going to get done. So this is where, believe it or not, Biden may show up and, and do something here. Biden is you know, this go-along, go get-along kind of guy, and he can cut the deal with the Senate of like, listen – I got to get this, this, and this. We'll give you this, this, and this. And these are things that, you know, backrooms, politicians, uh, making sausage. You've heard all the words. You don't like it, but it's how things get done. Yeah, and what's really interesting, too, is this last week, the Biden uh, people came out and said to the uh, Obama people, former Obama staffers, hey, you're not necessarily automatic shoe-ins in our administration. We're giving priority to those who worked on the Biden campaign. Now, what's so interesting about this, this sounds like it's really in the weeds D.C. stuff, but this is the Biden campaign basically telling the former Obama people who were there for eight years and all of the Bernie people that, no, you are not automatics. So if there's a Biden administration populated by more moderate Biden fans, that's going to have huge implications for what comes down the pike and what gets signed by a President Joe Biden. Absolutely. It's probably the only things that can actually go ahead and get through. When we return, an interview with Orange County Supervisor Don Wagner on the new COVID restrictions and how to deal with them. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. It's a weekend answer. Garrett Fay, Jim Righeimer. Talking about coronavirus now, what is it going to mean for us locally? Obviously, we've been hearing a lot of stories about how the infection rates have gone up. We're hearing that the hospitals might soon be overcrowded. That's always been the warning since February when this thing hit. But joining us now to make sense of this is Orange County Supervisor Don Wagner. He's been a frequent and, I think, educated voice on this issue, trying to push back against some of the prevailing narratives, calling for the governor and local and state officials to actually look at the science. Supervisor Wagner, thanks again for being with us. How are you guys? Good. So, uh, Don, obviously, this is a big week. Um, we've had Governor Newsom say he's basically pulling the emergency break on the state's opening. And so everyone is back into the purple tier. And then we also found out that, well, he's not really following his own advice. He likes to go have fancy meals with lobbyists and health officials at French Laundry, Thomas Keller's restaurant up in Napa. Don't blame him for that. But I guess the bigger question is, what does it mean for us here in Orange County? What can we do about it? And can we basically just not comply? Is that an option? 
Well, the thing it means in Orange County is that the governor's changed the rules again to drag Orange County into the purple tier. And the ostensible reason, of course, is the rise in cases. And while it is true there has been an uptick in cases, the two things to keep in mind are, one, it's nowhere near where we were back in uh, summertime. And in part, it's that's because our medical officials know better how to treat the disease. We're hearing that the average hospital stay has gone from roughly eight or nine days down to about five days. The drugs that are necessary are available. The personnel that protect the patients are available. And it's an uptick in cases, but by no means a significant uptick in what should matter, and that's hospitalizations, ICU uh, capacity, and certainly deaths. I've had numerous conversations with hospital association officials, in part because I keep reading in the press that, you know, oh, my gosh, the hospitals are going to be overrun. And I ask, is there truth to this? And they say, no. They say, we, are, we know what is coming. We are in a good spot now. We have plenty of capacity, given what we know to be the trajectory of the disease. We've done what the governor and the science says we should do. That's flatten the curve and give us the best possible opportunities to let the most people survive this and come out on the other side and thrive. Yeah, Don, Jim Righeimer here. So the, the issue is it's like we're past the election. So I understand why the governor wanted chaos up until the election, but now we're past it. And it almost seems to be, you know, punitive because you're hitting the actual numbers. All of us, everybody in the country looked at it and said, hey, the reason we're going to go to lockdown or do anything is because we're going to overwhelm hospitals. And, and, and you do not hear the facts you just gave out. And, and, and when people say that the numbers are up, like you said, it was up in July, in July. I don't know what the numbers are today. But, I mean, July, we're getting like 1,200 cases a day. So then it drops down to, you know, whatever, 100 cases or whatever it is, and it goes to 150, and they go, it's 50% more. But it's nowhere near where it was. So, so what is it out there? What, it, what, what do we have to communicate to the public so they get that what the governor doesn't know what he's doing? The fact of the matter is Orange County is okay, but it's like, well, we don't want Orange County to be okay because it's not fair to L.A. County. Well, let me, let me say that when you suggest the governor doesn't know what he's doing, I think it's fair to say the governor does know what he's doing, and what he's doing is something other than everything possible to save us from coronavirus. And I've talked about this on the show before. You guys know that there is a commission the governor's put together, 80 people on it. Tom Steyer heads it up, and it will say right on the website that the goal is not just to reopen California, but to open it in a more socially just, greener way. And until the governor gets the public, to that position, we're going to have this go-slow approach. It's not about getting back to normal, back to what in the progressive world is better than normal. I truly think there's an awful lot of that uh, involved in this. And the French laundry debacle, that. It, it's clear, guys, that the governor knows what the science is. We all know what the science is. He's just making policy choices to shut us down when others of us would make policy choices that allow adults in a free society armed with the information to make their own decisions. Why is he doing it? Because he's got some other motive there. And Tom Steyer and that commission spells it out. Now we're talking with Orange County Supervisor Don Wagner. Uh, Don, 
looking at the health numbers, we saw this last week that we have around 290 people in, currently hospitalized for coronavirus, about 90 people in the ICU. And given that Orange County is a large county, north of 3 million people, bigger than a lot of other states, those numbers seem small. And you just hit on an important point, which is, what is the end goal here? And what we saw this last week, I think, is a real difference in how other states are handling this, showing the, the beauty and the benefits of federalism. Texas, Florida, and South Dakota's governors all came out and said, we are going to reject statewide shutdowns. But then in New York City, Bill de Blasio, probably the worst mayor in the history of New York City, came out and said that the schools are going to shut down again. Give us a sense, if you will, what are the schools in Orange County going to do and how do we think about whether schools should stay open or what do we need to do about that? The current situation from the schools, as I understand it, and realize, of course, the Board of Supervisors has no authority over the schools and we don't try to. Come on, Don. You have authority over everything. That's why you're on the show. Come on. (laughs) But the bottom line is schools that were open are allowed to remain open under the purple tier. What I am hearing is some of them, and it's an individual school-by-school or or district-by-district decision, are increasing their distance learning and scaling back some of the in-person education. What we have been advocating, what I've been advocating, several of my colleagues on the board have been advocating, is exactly for that, that the local officials get to make the decisions. They get to spend the money on PPEs or plexiglass in the classrooms. They can let teachers who may be more at risk stay home. They can make those individual decisions rather than have the governor and the medical establishment in in Sacramento, who, by the way, were partying with the governor at the French Laundry, as you mentioned. Let them, rather than let them make the decisions, let folks make the decisions for so, so Don, what I always wonder about, is there data that you get or the governor gets when they go ahead and say we're going to do, like, um, curfews or they're going to say we're going to close down bars and gyms? Gyms I can't understand. I mean, they're big big spaces. People are spread out. Is there some data they have? Are they using metadata from phones or something to say they know something we don't know? Or, I mean, what's going on here? Well, how do, like, like the curfews. How do they know curfews help? What, what, why? If they are using such data, they are keeping it to themselves. They're not sharing it with our health officials and not leaders, such data. And we've asked for it. It isn't forthcoming if it exists. And, And that gets to a larger point. I keep hearing from everybody, oh, follow the science, use the science. Well, we all know what the science is. We all know, according to the science, the elderly, those with underlying conditions are most at risk, and the children are much less at risk, thank goodness. So we all know what the science is. What the governor is doing is making a policy choice based on that science, and in my mind, he's making the wrong policy choice, not because he's got better or different or super-secret science, simply because he is the one who is, is saying the science demands a shutdown. Well, thanks so much, Supervisor Don Wagner. When we return, the heads of Facebook and Twitter are grilled in the Senate and local school is banning classic literature when we come back.
All right, welcome back. It's the Weekend Answer. Garrett Fade, Jim Righeimer, talking about some legal issues, some ongoing issues of free speech. This last week, there was a big hearing on Tuesday in the Senate Judiciary Committee with the head of uh, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, and the head of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. And by the way, that guy is an oddball. You seen his beard? Dorsey's beard, he looks like a homeless guy that they dragged in off the street of San Francisco as a stand-in, yet he's worth billions of dollars. Yeah, I know. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. And I couldn't tell. Did he have his nose ring still in? Oh, yeah. Still the nose ring. Yeah, still the nose ring. I'm worth $10 billion, and I'm I'm finding myself. Right. I think he needs to find his way to like a barber. Yeah. Get that thing cut off. It's disgusting. Anyway, so they were dragged in front of a Senate committee. And what's interesting is not only sort of the merits of – whether these platforms should still qualify for immunity because they are simply content providers, or rather, sorry, whether they're platforms versus content providers. The argument Senate Republicans are making is you're no longer platforms. You're actually content providers because you are directing the terms of debate. You're putting warnings or clarifications on posts. Therefore, you don't qualify for immunity. And, of course, Facebook and uh, Twitter push back. They go, no, we are. We're not you know, actually qualifying anyone's information. We're just trying to provide them greater access to more information. But, Riggy, the biggest thing that came out this last week was uh, Dorsey, the head of Twitter, came out and said, yeah, we were actually wrong to block the New York Post story about Hunter Biden. And this is something that I think a lot of people were rightly outraged about because the New York Post found legitimate info about Hunter Biden and the corruption allegations, including what was on his laptop, what the FBI was looking to, the open FBI probe into money laundering involving Hunter. And Twitter censored it, and finally they came out after the election and go, oh, we were wrong. Who does this help now? Well, not only that. Remember, they, they, they aren't just you know censoring. They were blocking people's accounts, meaning that if you went ahead and you forwarded that story, you forwarded that link, they blocked your account until you removed it. So they're not, they're not just like censoring or putting little warnings ahead of time that say this could be destructive to your mind and your children shouldn't see it or whatever goofy stuff. They literally stopped communication from happening. If you are going to do that, and the world is now, remember, Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram has become the public square. Correct. It's, it's where you speak to the public. It's, it's where, where we argue with each other. Where you argue, where you stand on the corner and you do this. It was done hundreds of years ago. You know, the, 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 the Twitter at the time was the Federalist Papers. I mean, it's just, it was different back then. We have new technology. A little lower quality of debate now than the Federalist Papers. A, a, a lot, lot lower. Yeah, very Alexander good. Hamilton, you know, a little, a little higher than where we are in Twitter. Right, but did they all have uh, uh, pen names and everything they else? Did. So, yeah. so you didn't know who they were, so they did the kind of same thing. Because yeah, Ben Franklin wrote under Publius. He was Pub- the anonymous. The anonymous. Because, anyway, just like it is today, you still got to have a business and do work and everything else out there. When you bring up ideas, make make people upset. But these multi-billionaires are, are telling the world that they can control what we do, but yet we're just a platform. We're just a place where, like, emails come in and emails go out where information is just spread. And the fact of the matter is that's simply not true. Not only that, the things they're not telling you about is when when you're on, let's say, YouTube and you have videos, all of a sudden you get more and more people seeing your you seeing the, the thumbnail for your video to watch it. Right. Well, how does that happen? Can they dial that up or down? Oh, of course they can. And you've got these conservatives who have their, their YouTubes that have millions and millions of, of, of uh, listeners that all of a sudden their numbers drop off. Well, they're not being put in front of other people's eyeballs. Well, they can completely control it. Who's going to be able to figure that out? Yeah, well, I mean, what we saw even lead up to the election was people like Donald Trump Jr., who has a huge social media presence and a huge following, he was even noting in the days leading up to November 3rd that his number of new followers, likes, and retweets were radically falling off, 
And he was saying he thinks it's because Twitter and Instagram and Facebook were changing their algorithms to punish conservatives because they didn't like what they were putting forth. So they're going after Facebook. They're going after Twitter, rightly so. In his opening statement, the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, said in this in relation to the New York Post story, quote, we made a quick interpretation using no other evidence that the materials in the article were obtained through hacking. And according to our policy, we blocked them from being spread. Upon further consideration, we admitted this action was wrong and corrected it within 24 hours. But Riggy, given people's short attention span and the short life cycle of news, 24 hours is everything. Right. And, but they, and they know that. So they can basically guide and get things done. He who controls media. He who controls how communication does controls the world. And that's what's happening here. And and we need, obviously, Republicans to get up to speed, because some of these guys are just too old to figure things out, what they have to do. And then number two, we need to have Democrats start to understand, hey, maybe you want to be start, start being concerned about what the far left is doing to your party, because it's destroying how we communicate, how we talk. Listen, in the end, you need liberals and you need conservatives. We need both of them, but we need them to talk and communicate. When we talk and communicate, that's how we work out agreements. That's how we get things done. That's how we move things forward. Just shutting people down doesn't help anything. It only makes it worse out there. And so the far left wants to control, and they don't want to discuss with conservatives the issues. But quite frankly, you can solve a lot of problems if people are talking. And what you do when you talk and then the public listens to you talk, it's no different than and the, the, uh, the Lincoln-Douglas uh, debates. You got out in front of a crowd. You made your pitch. He made his pitch. And the public kind of goes, no, nah, I believe that. No, I don't like that. And it gets out there to the public, and they make decisions. We're not able to make decisions if the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebooks of the world are deciding what information people get. Right. Well, here's uh, a little bit from Texas Senator Ted Cruz, one of the more eloquent and coherent senators on this issue. I will say it's dismaying listening to the questions from our Democratic colleagues. Because consistently the message from Senate Democrats is for Facebook and Twitter and Google to censor more, to abuse their power more, to silence voices that Senate Democrats disagree with more. That is very dangerous if we want to maintain a free and fair democracy, if we want to maintain free speech. Well, again... Now they're saying, okay, we want to make sure we don't have hate speech, and we want to make sure we cut all these things that are bad out, again, which means that you're you're making a decision on what you have or don't have. Right after that speech in there, who, who's the bald guy from uh, from uh, Delaware? Chris Coons. Chris Coons. I'm 90% sure it's him. He gets up and he says to Jack Dorsey, I want to make sure that you understand that we have to get rid of all that hate speech out there. And one of the things that's hate speech is anybody who's a climate denier, anybody who, who denies the science out there should be shut down. And we have to make sure because that's an existential threat that the earth is, gonna, is, is in the balance, that people are going to die, that the world's going to end. So anybody who speaks against us, when it comes to the Green New Deal, should be banned. That's what he asked for. Right, and this is basically a form of censorship. Exactly. This is, we disagree with you on an unsettled issue, therefore we don't want to hear from you. The other thing we want to get to this segment is talking about a situation in the Burbank Unified School District. Now, we don't get into Burbank a lot in this show, but we're talking about it because the Burbank Unified School District is no longer going to teach and have their students read some foundational books of American literature, including Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, and several other books. Now, where is this coming from? Well, predictably, someone was offended. 
because a student learned the N-word reading To Kill a Mockingbird or The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. They said it to another student who happened to be black. That student was offended. They told the parent. The parent was offended. The parent raised hell. And what happened? Now they want to ban books. Riggy, what the hell's going on here? Well, I hated having to read all those books all the time when I was a kid. So yeah, yeah but at least I'm a little you, torn. At least you could. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. Listen, no. It again. These are foundational books. These are things of of American history and American literature that everybody has to do. And and the fact that they have racism and those type of things in the books is is the mind opening idea. It's not supporting those things. It's not saying this is good. It's saying how things were or how they should or shouldn't have been. And it's good for discussion in the classroom for kids to talk about this. How it was back in the South, and if and instead of saying what you think, you look at somebody who wrote about how it was back in the South and Huckleberry Finn and how they they treated the blacks and slaves. That's something that the kids should learn. They should understand that. Yeah, and the parents are saying, "Oh, our kids are traumatized. This is violence to us because some kid read the book and went and made some idiot comment to one of his classmates." I think this is an opportunity for a parent to step up and tell their kid. Here's what's going on. Here's where these authors were coming from. Here's what the book means. And ignore an idiot student of yours because, listen, life's going to be full of people saying rude, mean things to you. Yeah, and you're hitting exactly on the head. If this is the worst thing that happens to your kid, you know, that's not life. Life is a lot tougher than that. Kids have to get a thick skin on them and figure out what they have to figure out in life and move forward. So let's hear it for all the classic American books. Coming up, some good news stories to encourage you. Don't change that dial. Hey everyone, thanks for being with us. Weekend Answer Show, Garrett Fay, Jim Rickheimer, AM870TheAnswer.com. WeekendAnswer.com on the socials. If you want to yell at us, it's WeekendAnswerGmail.com. Always love those. Time for some good news stories and Riggy. First, first good news story involves some good food. Let's get it started. Out in Murrieta, California, Mac Kazayan. Kazayan, I don't know if I'm saying that right. He owns Mitra's Cafe in Murrieta. And, and if we know anything, the restaurants have just gotten beaten up during COVID. Oh, just absolutely slammed. Just, Thank you, Newsom. Unless you're unless Newsom's going to eat there. Yeah, then, then, then it's, it's going to be open. Then it's wide open. But, I mean, they're, they're just getting slammed out there. And you've got this owner, Max, out there that had says, well, you know what? We still have a lot of people that are hungry. So he puts a sign in front of his place that says, if you're hungry and you don't have any money, don't worry. Come in. We'll feed you. That's amazing. Now, I heard he put up another sign saying, Newsom, if you come, we're going to charge you double. Well, I, I, that's fine, but I, I don't think you got in that. But think about this for a second. Restaurants are getting their butts kicked. Everything's a problem out there, and he's got a sign out in front of his restaurant. There are times when a dozen different people come in that, ha- that bring their kids. They don't have any money. They, they don't have any food. He just says, I just feed them. I just go ahead and I feed them. And this is really when you start looking at how can society help each other and do certain things. This is one restaurant out there in Murrieta. And, and, and are people, you know, rushing in there, taking advantage of it, you know, negatively? No. Well, I mean, you and I went. No. <laughs> We paid. Right. No. But, I mean, think about it. Right. Most people aren't going to abuse something. Here's a guy just saying it. And, and for the restaurant, you know, up times or down times, whatever, it's not the end of the world probably, but he does it. He just says, hey, I'm going to go feed people that don't have any money. And that's just really 
I think, a big deal, and it's really something that we should be proud of in America where people just go out and say, you're poor, you're hungry, we take care of them. And it's not a big government program. Yeah, it doesn't involve Nancy Pelosi being in a good mood and trying to get a political win out of it. Yeah, and, and that's the problem with all these things is they become big programs, and they spend millions and millions of dollars, and 10% of the money goes towards food, 90% goes towards administration. Yeah, and one of the things we talked about, we've had a restaurateur, Mario Morovic, on here before. These people have pretty slim margins in restaurants. Right. It's not like they're making tons of cash here. And so when you tell them they can either be open certain times or only be open outside or only take out, this hurts these people. So for this guy to do this, this is an amazing story. So kudos to Max Kazaian and Mitra's Cafe. If you're out in Murrieta, go hit him up, but actually pay if you can. Help the guy out. All right, next good news story. This comes to us from nearby Sunnyvale, California. Heartwarming story of a World War II veteran named John Atwell. 95 years old. Well, like a lot of older people during the coronavirus pandemic, he's been alone. He has not had a lot of company, but he had a birthday coming up. He was 94, looking at 95. So his daughter wrote to a reporter asking the reporter if anyone might be willing to send a birthday card to her dad. You know, sweet request here. No big deal. Well, it came through in spades. Mr. John Atwell, the 95-year-old World War II uh, vet, gets more than 500 cards and gifts, and they've come from as far away as Germany, France, and Taiwan, and most obviously come to the United States. But, Ricky, what's so heartwarming about this is, obviously, this guy's a World War II vet. Considering who we fought in World War II, the fact that the cards are coming from Germany, France, and Taiwan is really something. And one card even blew up with confetti, and a general in Hawaii sent John a medallion he'd given to his men during his service. This is an amazing story for an awesome old guy. Yeah, and and don't ever deny the fact that the public and people out there will support things like that. They have to be asked. They have to be for a good cause. I mean, a 95-year-old guy... I mean, you know, just being 95. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Are, are we going to make it to 95? I don't know about 95. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to make 90. Yeah, but I mean, he's 95, but because of corona, he's basically by himself. So this is really going to cheer him up. Heck, it'll probably give him five more years. Right. Well, maybe he can go over to Mitra's and get a kebab sandwich with that. <laughs> not, it's not far away. Right. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us this week on The Weekend Answer. Keep it here all week. Why? Well, there's still a lot of news going on. Still know who the president is. We think we do. But there's also a lot of good news in this country and right here at home. So keep it here, Amy, at 70 The Answer all week. We'll see you next weekend.